What's up, ladies and gents? Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Rich. And if you're new here, this podcast feed is a place for all of the elk hunting interviews that I've done over the last six or seven years. Some are Wapiti Wednesdays, some are from my original podcast. But I wanted to compile the largest collection of elk hunting knowledge and interviews ever put together, which is pretty cool. And I would love your guys' help getting it out there to the world. So if you could do me a huge favor, uh, this is a new feed. So go leave it a five-star review and maybe tell a friend about it. But thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you guys enjoy this elk hunting podcast. All right, Mr. Brinker, welcome to Wapiti Wednesday. Wapiti Wednesday. I've always wanted to come on this, man. <laughs> have you never been on Wapiti Wednesday? Or have you never? No. Yeah, I guess you've you been on the podcast. Dickhead? No, I've been on the podcast, but I've never got to do Wapiti Wednesday, man. That's the most important Wednesday. Well, here, here's the deal, Brinker. Here's the deal. So I got a lot of friends that hunt in the same areas that you do. So I'm probably going to catch flack for letting the guy in my old area, my old stopping grounds on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can all be rest assured that no specific place are going to be shared on this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to get, I'm going to get kicked every time. Dude, if I do a Roosevelt podcast, I'll get text messages. like, easy. <laughs> Don't be giving away stuff. <laughs> well, well, that's just the way life goes guys. Yeah. 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 So anyway, we were kind of chit-chatting before the podcast and you were, uh, we we're talking about, Oh man, elk season's 45 days away. That's yeah. That's I landed from family vacation. Cause in Oregon, where I live, um, our spring was very wet. So we didn't really get the normal, beautiful Oregon spring. Springs in or Western Oregon are actually pretty nice because you'll get, starting in March, you'll start get this, a few 70 degree days here and there, maybe an 80 in late March. And then April's beautiful. We didn't right. get that this year. It like poured down rain and it was cool all the <laughs> way through June. So I went to Hawaii with my family on a vacation uh, the last week of June, the first week of July. And we got back and since I didn't get a spring and when I landed, I'm like, I looked at the date and I'm like, Oh my God, it's 45. Cause in Oregon, our season opens like the 27th or something of August. I'm like 45 days, but I'm like, Whoa, I usually get the whole spring to think about it. And it just didn't kick in this year. So I'm kind of like in the mode now, man. I'm like actually getting really excited about it. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I, I've been shooting and actually like I've been getting bad about shooting and it like inevitably, and this is a Montana thing. So Montana is the opposite. We have winter until June. And so like, it's hard for me to get out and shoot when I was in Oregon. It was like, I would start shooting in April. Like you said, it's nice. You're like, you want to shoot your bow. And so you shoot all year. And then, Montana, it's hard to get into like me wanting to go shoot in the backyard when it's snowing. So this year I was like, okay, I'm going to start shooting a little, like, I don't want to get, you know, caught with my pants down again. I'm going to start shooting early. So I've been shooting. And then like just this last week is when I was like, I need to shoot every day. Like I just want to get back into it. And so I've been shooting every day this week and I'm like, okay, now I'm pumped. I'm excited. Like the, the goal is within horizon. So to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I dude, That's so funny. Cause I'm on the exact same, uh, like this thing as you, I, I, I shoot like once or twice a week, most of the spring, you know, and maybe every day for like little stints, but, uh, I've been going out every morning and shooting and it feels so good. And like, you know, I'm, I'm making the little tweaks, like I'm going to switch my site and like move some things around. And, um, but 
it's this, it's like a light switch in your head. Like there's something that just happens to us as hunters yeah. this time of year where it's like, okay, it's time to like completely start over the process. It's not completely, but, and like it's go time soon. So like any preparations that you need to make now, and I was telling you before the podcast and I'm not, I'm not a fan of, I've never been a fan of like scouting specific animals. Let me be, let me tell you why before people freak out on me. I scout, I spend more time cause I, I own a, a, a real estate company. Um, and we specifically specialize in land. And so I'm out in the mountains and out in elk country all the time. And what I'm scouting for is habitat, rubs, wallows. Like I'm looking for, cause the elk around here, they generally live in the same areas, but for the most part, they rut in the same areas every year. So I don't necessarily get too hung up on whether I see elk or not. If you're seeing rubs and rut sign, typically, unless that bull got killed or the herd that lost their habitat, that herd's going to be back there the next year. So, but this year I, I, I've scouted plenty of habitat. I have more spots that I know what to do with what I'm actually going to scout for in the next few weeks is specific animals that I want to hunt, which I never do. Cause as you know, me, Cody, I'll shoot the first five point or four by five that walks by me. And, uh, but this year I'm, I'm trying not to do that. I'm, I have, two bulls identified that I know are alive that I want to hunt. And I want to try to get to like three or four or five just so I have options on weather and conditions and wind and all that stuff. Um, so over the next few weeks, I'm actually going to be doing some velvet scouting, which I'm excited about. So when is we're going to talk elk, we're going to talk Roosevelt's and, um, I mean, you got some, oh man, you got some studs that you, you know about you're watching. When is the transition from I'll shoot five points to, I kind of want to kill that big bull that, I, that I've been following. I mean, I've said this multiple times. The problem is, is willpower, right? Like last <laughs> year I was on the same, tra- <laughs> last year I was on the same train and it's sometimes it's hard, um, in, in this country, um, to know exactly what you're shooting at from a, the antlers perspective. Cause it's heavy brush. It's like last year I had this big herd. It was like the first week of the season. This big herd was coming all the way around me. And I just saw eye guards, like tines coming through the brush. And I could tell it was a a branch bull and it was in the middle of a big herd. So I'm like, I'll take a chance. It's bugling. And I got up to it and it was one of the smallest branch bulls I've ever killed in my life. (laughs) And, uh, but, and, and whatever, I mean, but sometimes you just don't know. I don't know. Like it's never it's never been a, I'm not a big score guy or anything like that. I use it more as a reference, but I do think that you get to a point when you're older that it's like, okay, I, I don't have to shoot a, a, a four by five. You know, yeah. I, I can, do, I know that I can do that. I'm almost hundred percent sure by the end of the season, I can do that. What I really like to do is keep pushing myself to be a better hunter. And I've always, I've never been one of these guys that can, that, targets a specific animal and will only hold out for that one. But I've always kind of wanted to try it just to see if I can actually do it, you know? So I'm not committing to it at this point, Cody, but (laughs) if I can, if, if I can, if I can find that one or two or three bulls, so I have enough variety, that's cause that's the thing. I like variety and I like being around elk. I'm not going to sit in a spot for a month that doesn't have barely any elk in it just to kill that one bull because I value my season and I value my interactions. I'd rather go hunt somewhere where there's a bunch of elk and 10, five by fours. But if I can find the right mix where I can still be around elk and there's a giant there, I think I might hold out this year. 
Dude, that's that's the thing is when you start targeting particular bulls, let's just say like you, you find a big bull and you target that bull. The the irony is like all the other bulls are gonna show up there. Mm-hmm. And so like you're like you're gonna have plenty of opportunity anyway. You know, it's mm-hmm. like that's usually where they all end up. And you know, like I would say with Rosie's, maybe it's a little bit different, uh, but not that different. Like when you start going after one bull, ironically, you have far more opportunities at the five points and even just random six points, like good sixes than you ever do, uh, you know, trying to target just any elk in the woods. And like, I've said this for a lot of years, but it's like, man, just go after the big one because it seems like all the elk are doing the same thing. Like they're going after him too. You know, like there's, you know, how many opportunities you get like solid six points that are satellite bulls just in the area. And Mm -hmm. it's like, those are, those are like the gimme, like I would say a gimme, but they're the easy one. If, if there ever was an easy elk to kill. Right. And, and, uh, and those are also the hardest to pass because if, (laughs) if you're, if you're hunting a a specific bull, especially in Roosevelt country, like, let's be honest, most of the country you grew up here, Cody, most of the, the elk herds around here aren't very big, generally speaking. I mean, yes, there are some that are, but for the most part, if you're hunting in the coast range, there's sub 20 or sub 10, even a lot. So, and so let's say you have seven cows, a giant bull, Normally, like at most, there's like one or two satellites, um, you know, on this public land or whatever, you know, they, so you know that if you let this four by five walk by, that might be the only bull that you get a chance at the whole season. (laughs) So the willpower that that takes, and I, I, I'm not saying I possess it guys. Look, I've killed a lot of raghorns and I don't regret it, but I do want to test myself a little bit more, um, and be a little bit more intelligent about when I go out and what I'm targeting this year than I normally do, because I just love elk hunting and I, I like shooting bulls. I like shoot. I, I shot a spike a couple of years ago. I don't like it, it walked by on the wrong day. Um, <laughs> you know, so, uh, I, I, I just like hunting elk. So, but this year I, I just keep having dreams of this crowned, Black corn Roosevelt. Say it, Brinkers. 300 to bust. <laughs> 300 <or> bust. <laughs> I missed I missed I missed one four years ago that scored 335. Because uh. uh, somebody somebody else killed it. And it still makes me sick to my stomach because it's <laughs> and that was a true coastal Roosevelt. That was like on the beach, uh, which doesn't happen that often, as you know. Yeah, I mean, that's like a, that's like a 375 public land Montana bowl, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, okay, so Roosevelt season. I mean, you pretty much hunt the whole time. And I, I want to preface all of this by saying like, if I went back and I like, I grew up there, I know that country very, very well. If I went back and had one week to hunt, I would probably shoot the first five points that walked by too. So I'm going to preface all of this with that. <laughs> um, and like, I'm not saying like I would be 300 or bust. Maybe if I, if I had a whole season and I was like living there, I would 100% be 300 or bust, but that's a whole nother conversation. But you spend uh, you spend the whole season. Season opens late August um, and goes kind of late September. What's your let's go like let's talk about your favorite time of year? But then maybe we'll like break down some of the tactics from early season to late season because it definitely shifts. Yeah, and I think just to give some context, um, I spend a lot of time hunting with my dad. It's a priority of mine. It's number one priority. And then also now my young, my younger brother started bow hunting uh, here a few years ago. So if you actually spread out the amount of time that I actually get to hunt just 
for myself, it's even though I'm here the whole month, it's actually like four or five days when you <laughs> between family and, and, I, and I'm not saying that that's bad. I enjoy going 100%. with other people. I love watching my brother shoot a, a bull. I, 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 there's nothing more that I want than my dad to kill a giant, you know? Um, but it does limit what you can achieve, right? In terms of, because to kill those three, if you're on 300 or bust, you better have some time yeah. because those, those son of a bitches are smart. These are, all old elk are smart um, because especially here though, because these rifle tags are basically over the counter. Um, the archery tags for sure are over the counter and these elk, they live in the same place every single year. So like if 50 guys that are pretty proficient with a compound bow know about a 330 bull in public land on the coast range, and he's going to be in the same three clear cuts every year, that bull, if he makes it to seven or eight, is a genius. Is a genius. You <laughs> he's know what I mean? He's going to, yeah. So anyways, I can't remember what the question is. Well, take, so let's, let's start. Yeah. So usually our season, um, starts that last week of August. It's my favorite week. If we have semi cooler weather is the, or my favorite weeks are the first two weeks. If the weather is, can at least be like mid seventies during the day and like dip into the at least 50 or maybe high forties at night. That's a good first two weeks. But normally what we get, it's, it's really hot the first week. So it's generally speaking, my least favorite week, even though <laughs> the, the elk are, it's a good time to kill a big one though, because the elk, those big bulls are generally with the cows here and, and right after they rub their velvet in August, um, they get there pretty early, um, which is a little bit different than the Rockies, you know, from what I've seen. Um, they're generally, they get the velvet off they're usually with their harem or damn near them by the end of August. So if you can find those bulls that are undisturbed at the end of August, they haven't been hunted yet and you get the right conditions. It's a great week to kill one, but generally it's so damn hot. They're not talking. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not very active in general. So you're usually ambushing them late, late or early in clear cuts or you're getting lucky in the timber somewhere and just having a herd come by you. And sometimes you can silent call in satellite bulls and all that stuff. But it's generally speaking, not my favorite week. My favorite week is the second week. It's usually right around the, the fifth to the 10th right in there seems to be the magic Roosevelt time. Do you have you experienced that Cody? Man, I don't know. Like, well, I've seen it all. So I, I like the fifth to the 10th. Um, generally speaking, just being fine bulls that like aren't herded up um, or, or like that's when they first start getting going hot. Um, so I do like that week, but I've also found that I've found really good bulls that won't talk much. Like they'll just kind of mm -hmm. answer me once and they're kind of still just hanging out. They're not super mm -hmm. hot. So I don't know. It kind of depends on the season, but that's definitely a time where you have a bunch of elk cruising you kind of like it's any man's game because like you could, be on a certain ridge and like an elk could come in. Like they're very responsive that week. They're mm -hmm. very responsive to like cow calls and like elk, like coming into elk calls, noises, whatever you want to call it. But I've also found like not super vocal as far mm -hmm. as like bulls just screaming. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I, I agree with you. You, you got to make them talk. It seems like that. It seems like when they're like on autopilot, like the, the rut fests I've encountered, which is, very few in considering I've been doing this my whole life because they just don't happen as much here as they do in the Rockies. Right. Those are usually between the 12th and the 18th. Right. right Somewhere right. right, right in there. Cause then it seems but, like, like the last week of season, 
uh, if it's not pouring down rain the entire seat, that entire week, then it's like, they kind of like just get into their little pockets and mm-hmm. you know, they're pretty not spooked, but like they're pressured. So they're just kind of quiet or whatever. So it's like, mm-hmm. I would say like opening week, really tough to get stuff to talk. You might find them, you know, but it's like pulling teeth to get them to talk second week. It's like, they're talking, but, uh, sometimes the herd, the biggest bulls aren't herded up yet, but there's pretty active time. And then I would say third week is like peak and then, but peaking also like that's when everyone's out there, everyone's pressuring them. And then fourth week, it gets pretty tough because they clam up. And if you ever tried to hunt Roosevelt's where they're clammed up and they're like in some hole, it's like, good luck. <laughs> yeah. And they're so yeah. spooky that the first cow, first movement, the lead cow's like gone. You know, It's amazing how much you can tell of the ebb and flows of the seasons from social media. Like every year, you know, we're as a community, we're talking every day, multiple times a day. What's right. going on? Where did people hear bugling all this stuff? And then you're watching like the local forums and social media that last week, there's always a couple really good bulls killed. There always is. But for the most part, the harvest just dive. <laughs> like everybody's like, where the hell did all the elk go? Like they're, they're just gone. And I think it's a, for a multitude of reasons, probably the most reasons the top two are probably the pressure. They've been pressured now for three weeks. And then number, number two is, is just, it's a natural, I mean, they call it lockdown in the Midwest for the whitetails, these bulls, they already have their harems. And the other thing is, is like, and Cody, you live in Bozeman now, which is where I used to live. If you get into a really good basement basin in Montana with, you know, 50 or 75 or a hundred cows and there's 10, 15 bulls, in that basin, it's really easy to confuse bulls by calling them in. Like, cause everything's so chaotic. They don't know what's going on, but these bulls here by the end of the season, they know exactly how many bulls are in their basin and they know what they sound like and they know what they look like and they know what they smell like. So, you know, going to the end of a landing on September 19th, that's been called off 50 times. Those bulls at the bottom of that basin are like, dude, come on. (laughs) <laughs> like there, there's, there's, I have two satellites and seven cows. I've had the same seven cows for four years. You can't tell me that any of that shit is real. <laughs> <laughs> so like, what's, what would you say is kind of the best, I would say not go to tactic is like, uh, I want to talk a little bit like outside of the box, everyone in their dog is out there doing the cat road shuffle, like bugling and calling. Like, I think that game is fairly well, I wouldn't say dead, but it's definitely dying. Like you kind of got to think outside of the box. Now you're either like, okay, do you go tree stand? Do you, you know, mm-hmm. spot and stock? Do you like, how do you get around? Like everyone's just calling. I don't know. Or does it yeah. still work for you? I don't know. Actually, I actually haven't talked to you about this. Yeah. Um, I think it depends heavily on where you're hunting. As you know, Cody, like the national forest over here isn't logged anymore. So mm-hmm. you basically have two options. You can walk aimlessly through a lot of country that doesn't have very many elk, or you can go out and call into a hundred places and hope for one answer. Right. Yeah. So there's not a lot of options in some of that country, or you can find a, uh, I mean, good luck with finding a trail that's used enough to, I mean, up here anyway, there's some areas that have high enough densities. Maybe you could do that. Uh, people that sit on wall. I know people that sit on wallows and every year I go, I should try that. I should try that. I should try that. But where I hunt, there's more clear cuts because I hunt a lot of private timberland that's open to the public. Um, to, um, and in, in clear cut country, 
there's a lot more observing and being in the right places at, at daylight and at dark, finding where these elk are moving to and from and just trying to intercept them and stalk them. And I use calls more as a something in my quiver as opposed to the primary method. I've actually killed more Roosevelt spot and stock than I have calling. Um, but I have a friend who hunts only on the brushy national forest where he's killed more Roosevelt than anybody else. I know all by calling and most of them under 20 yards. Right. So it just depends on where you're hunting, I guess. Do you think, do you think the whole calling thing on Roosevelt is dead or does it just depend on where you're at? I think it's a lot harder than it was even five years ago or three years ago or 10 years ago because yeah. there's so many people doing it. And again, as you know, Cody, like some of those basins people are calling into only have 10 elk that live in them. Right. Like there's not 200 elk listening to you down there. Yeah. Those 10 elk have heard so many Phelps reeds and Rocky mountain calls and like, I'm not bashing it. I do it too, but you're basically playing the game of odds. Like if I go to enough places and do this enough times, I'm finally going to irritate one enough to sound off. But I think the best way to approach Roosevelt hunting because of all the things that we've talked about is to have a multifaceted approach to it. Like keep three, four main strategies in your quiver and deploy them as necessary. If you find a wallow that's absolutely being shredded every day, I had this happen two years ago and I, I'm such an idiot. I had a wallow with a camera on it that I can't remember if we've talked about this, Cody, but it was being, it's a Roosevelt, uh, the, the cascade Roosevelt's, which may act a little bit different, but it was still Roosevelt's these bowls. There was like five bowls hitting this wallow. And I had that camera there for uh, two months and I, I ran all the data. And basically if you just sat on that wallow, any, any three days, any three days from 10 AM to 5 PM, any three days of late August or September, you would have killed a branch bull period. <laughs> and so, and, and if you just sat any five or six days, you would have killed a six by six. So, my point in telling that story and I never did anything. I just watched these pictures and I never got the patience to go sit there. Um, and then the next year that wallow was dead. One spike came in the entire season. I have no idea why probably because it was a little drier that year. There wasn't as much water there. But my point in the story is I didn't, I wasn't open-minded enough to do that. It, it, it didn't interest me very much. There was a couple times I went in that general area and I called a couple of those bulls in and I actually missed one of them. But I should have just went and sat there. I should have been open-minded enough to be like, you know what? What, else, what, I'm, what I'm doing isn't working that well. It's hot. I, have a, I, I had a blind on it 10 yards away. All, uh, those, all those pictures I got were 10 yards from my ground blind that we sat in July. Or set in July. Um, I actually have a funny... And this is, a, this is just giving my brother shit, but... I, I, I've made plenty of mistakes in my hunting career, but you know, Blake. So yeah. I, I, I talked Blake into the going to sit in the swallow. And, uh, anyways, he goes and sits from like, I said, if you sit from 10 to six, you're going to, there's a high odds. Something's coming, dude. <laughs> there's this five point hitting it almost every day. And so he goes and sits and he gets in at like 10 or 10 30 and he texts me or calls me. I can't remember at about three 30 and says, I I'm done. I can't do this. I'm done. And uh, I'm like, all right. I I'm like, it'll be so funny when we check the camera tomorrow to see if anything came in. 
and we check the camera and it is so funny. Here's a picture of my brother leaving at like three 30 or I can't remember four, six o'clock. That five point is rolling in that thing. Uh. Nine, nine or 10 yards from his ground blind. <laughs> and so I sent him these pictures and actually I'll text them to you, uh, Cody. So you can put them in this clip or whatever. It's pretty, yeah. it's pretty. And again, Blake, I love you. I've made more mistakes than anybody. I guarantee it. I'm, this is not a knock on my brother, but it's a good example of, you know, if something's working, do it. And that's kind of my point is like, I think you have to be open-minded hunting Roosevelt's because calling Roosevelt's is way different than calling Rocky mountain elk. It's I, I don't care what anybody says. It is different. They are not, they are, they are just not as talkative as Rocky mountain elk. They do talk and you can call them in and they do bugle. I know. But if you compared them to a good 10 days in like good elk country in Montana or Wyoming, there is no comparison. In my I 100% agree. And like, they just do different things too. Like, um, I don't know how many bulls I've called in. Like it's such a chess match with Roosevelt's. And I feel like with, uh, not to say it's easier to call Rockies. It is easier, but like, it's not the same comparison. It's like, Rockies or Rockies are just like bullheaded and like either want to f- fight or leave. Like they're mm-hmm. very short attention spans. Like calling Miriam turkeys and with Roosevelt's it's like how many have come in silent and like, you mm-hmm. know, they're there and like, you'll hear a twig break and like, you'll hear him moving through the trees and never say a word and you'll never even mm-hmm. see him. And it's like, I know he was here and like, but that bull lives in that same drainage. And so like, you'll go down like multiple days and it's like never, have I ever called a Rocky that was like in the same drainage and called him in three times in the same drainage and then never say a word either of the time, you know, any of the times Mm -hmm. it's just like, yeah, they live in this like dark jungle forest where it's like, they're playing their own game. Uh, and I love it and I hate it, but I a hundred (laughs) percent agree with you that like, if I, I haven't hunted Roosevelt's like six or seven, five, six, seven years. And if I was going back today, I think I would, if I had to choose a week, Mm, that's interesting. If I had to choose a week, if I was looking for any bull, I'd probably go second week. I like mm-hmm. your like five, you know, mm-hmm. five to 10 ish. Um, but if I was looking for a big bull, man, I'd have to have the whole season. But if I was just going for any bull, I'd be like five to 10 ish. And I would be like, okay, how do we like, I would focus on areas of, you know, high elk populations as much as of a joke that is. But it's like, yeah, cold calling and the like dark timber or like mm-hmm. where I know there's some wallows. It's like these elk will hang out on this band, right? Of like mm-hmm. open timber that's mm-hmm. like super brushy above, super brushy below. But though, like if you if you know Roosevelt's, they like these like benches essentially, and they live on those benches. And you could go on those benches and you could call your face off, and nothing could show up. But like they still live there. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. they're not there. It's just like they didn't they didn't feel like coming in. It's like compare it to trout fishing versus steelhead fishing maybe where it's like the steelhead could be there and never bite right like he's just still there but you have to catch it dude i have a funny story that happened two years ago this okay so back to my wallow story the bull that was hitting the biggest bull that was hitting that wallow was just a nice cascade six by six like it it was wouldn't have scored crazy but he was a four or five year old nice bull long story short went into that area got him to answer i was with my brother and my dad he'd answered down on this bench and this bench is pretty brushy. It's like, uh, uh, viney maples for oh, those God, that don't know who, what those things are. They're the worst trying to shoot through viney maples is impossible. Viney maples. And then like waist high sword ferns and like 60 year old fir trees. It's, it's a cool spot, but it, it's, it's very brushy. 
anyways, actually this spot has like 30 year old fir trees. So it's like, it's just kind of choked up. Anyways, he answers down this bench and Roosevelt's, they hear noise all the time. They're very noisy. And I will say, we haven't talked about this, but I want to talk about this. They're a uh, Roosevelt's greatest weakness is how much noise they make when they're relaxed. And I'm not talking about talking. They do talk, but I'm talking about popping limbs, rolling rocks. Like they can walk through that country quiet, but when they're relaxed, they are really loud. And if you have good ears and you can get on a high point and you can, you know, you're around elk and you can just listen, you can hear them walking regardless. He bugles like 200 yards below us on this flat. We, uh, they don't care about noise. So we just bust down there. You can get like with, if they can't see you or smell you, you can get really close to them by just going. Don't tippy toe. We do that. We bail down there. We get on this bench and I know we're close, but I can't see him and he stopped talking. So I'm up front or we kind of spread out my, my brother's shooter over here. I'm kind of, we kind of have this double setup thing going and I'm, we're cow calling back and forth and I'm trying to get him to answer. He won't answer. And I'm sitting there and I'll never forget this dude. It startled the shit out of me. I'm like cow calling. I got an arrow on the string. I'm getting bit by those gnats that we have here. God, they just drive me crazy. I'm like slapping flies. And I look ahead and a cow stands up out of the sword ferns at like 10 yards. She had, she had been bedded there the entire time. I'd probably been there for 15 minutes. I hadn't heard it. And then all of a sudden the other elk stand up, they're all bedded within 50 yards of me. And then all of a sudden the bull stands up and walks over into an opening at what I thought at the time was 50 yards. I ranged him twice through the sword ferns, 50, 52, 50. Anyways, long story short, I draw back on this bowl, get steadied in, pull through my release, just felt great, and it sails over him into a tree. Um, long story short, I misranged him. He was 40. But the point of that was, like, you can be really close to these animals, and if they can't smell you or see you and you're just sounding like elk, you won't even know how close you are. They don't always answer. But so, like, beware when you're in those bedding grounds, right? Like, Oh, yeah. The other thing is like, you could make, well, you can make a lot of noise, but you can also call, it remind me of this um, time. And actually that year I was in Idaho, I killed a bull. I had one day left in Oregon. So I bomb all night to back to Oregon. Uh, and I like, where should I go? Where should I go? You know, I hadn't been there in a week. So I like go to this one spot and I'm like, I know there's a herd of elk hanging right around here somewhere. And similar stories like, I was like, I'm just going to call and call and call. It was an afternoon evening hunt. And I, uh, so I just call in, like I'm slow cow calling. And this is like good tip, slow cow calling, just kind of trying to sound like a herd of elk in there. And I probably called for 45 minutes thinking I was like, I just want to kill an elk. I think I was just trying to like, Oh, maybe I'll get something to come in. Finally, not 150, 200 yards away, a bull bugles. And it's like the wimpiest little spike bugle. And I was like, okay, there's, there's elk, there's not, there's a bull here. Right. Thinking like maybe he came up out of the Canyon. So I moved that way. And I was like, okay, I'm within, let's say a hundred yards uh, of this elk. But I was like, I'm going to wait till that he says something. Cause I was trying to pick him up, you know? And uh, oh, man, 20 minutes goes by finally another, a little bit bu bigger bugle. So I kind of gave him like just kind of a match bugle and then he rips a big one. It was like a whole herd was right there within 200 yards of me for that whole 45 minutes. And he never said a word, you know, and it was just like, he would just be quiet. And I think um, a lot of people who definitely people who 
Rocky hunt primarily, but then hunt Roosevelt's underestimate how long it takes to like get a bull fired up. This is not like, Oh, Hey, bugle. And then they answer for every one bull that does the answers you on your first bugle. There's like a hundred that you walked by that just never said anything. You know, like they just, they're not as responsive. There's one day out of the year that bull's like uber responsive, but for the most part, he's just living his life in the, in the brush, <laughs> you know, it's not, does not get as amped up. Yeah. And by, by nature of some of the, like take Montana, for example, uh, like, like mountain hunting in Montana, I'm not talking about hunting out Eastern Montana, but like mountain hunting in Montana, the country's so big and vast that, um, let's see, how do I say this? If you're on the coast range in Oregon and you pull up to a landing and you're calling into a basin and you're in an area that has elk. They're 100% as an elk listening to you when you're calling like elk. Like there's, there's not a lot of basins in those areas that have high elk density that there isn't an elk listening to you. Whereas the migratory nature of Rocky mountain elk in a lot of those areas in Montana, sometimes those basins, those basins empty out for the day and you might be calling into a basin with nothing. And that's kind of why they're a little bit more receptive to they get more uh, confused and it's chaotic and they can't keep track of everybody. I think they're just more easily agitated because they're always moving around so much. These mm-hmm. Roosevelt's, like I said so many times, it's like they stay in the same general spot. So if you know they're there, they're there most likely. Now, when you get over into like where I like being specific, like Cascade Roosevelt's and some of the Valley Elk as I call them, they tend to migrate more. They move around a little bit. They have like five, six, seven day loops. But if you're hunting coastal Roosevelt's, generally speaking, they can hear you. If you, if you, if they, if they've been in that basin their whole life, they're still in the basin. It's just, you're not doing anything that's agitating them or like interesting them. So like, sometimes I, I will just like Corey Jacobson came out here a couple years ago and it just reminded me of how much you can call and it doesn't really scare them. I mean, Dude, we were blowing their ears out all day just to get an answer. (laughs) I don't really do that as much. I kind of move through the woods like an elk, like more like what you were doing in that setup that you described. Yeah. I I break limbs. I, 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 I make calf sounds, cow sounds like light bugles, aggressive bugles. I just get the wind in my face and move through elk country and sound like elk. And that has tended to bring results. Um, but to be honest, the best way to kill a big bull is find a big bull in country where you can see that has clear cuts and pattern them and kill them in the clear cut. Do you think, okay. That's another question. Do you think kill them in the clear cut or kill them when it goes back in the timber? Either one. Um, I've had more luck killing them in clear cuts because clear cuts, I can still see them now. It takes the right type. Yeah, it's it's got to be a perfect clear cut. Cause yes. half those clear cuts, you can't even get across. Right. It's like a, this is like the ideal situation, right? It's either like a brand new clear cut with like brand new dirt logging, uh, cat roads. Yeah. Or like a three, four year old, five year old clear cut with just the trees are just tall enough to where you can kind of use them as, as, as a uh, leverage to, to move around. And the roads are still clear enough where you can not make a ton of noise. Um, but I mean, the, the, the few biggest bulls I have ever had the opportunity at here were either in the clear cut or just in the transitional stuff, just outside the clear cut. Um, but again, it depends on where you're hunting. If you're hunting in the national forest where they don't log, obviously it's not the same, but if you're, 
if you can get high and find these bulls, they are vulnerable in those clear cuts. They, and they will come out in them in the daylight. So shockingly, sometimes in the middle of the freaking day. Oh. Um, last year, we almost got an opportunity on probably like a 290 Roosevelt. We, we found his sign. Like we, we, we found this area. There's rubs everywhere. There's a, we could tell it was a big herd living around there. Blah, 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 blah. We spent like a day analyzing the sign, but we could not find the elk. We checked every timber patch. We called into every reprod patch. We could not find him. Guess where he was? He was laying in the middle of like a six-year-old, seven-year-old clear cut. No way. uh, With his cows in the middle of the day. And we jumped him with the truck because we drove through the clear cut. Oh my goodness. I'm like, oh my God. I know, but they're unpredictable. They do make mistakes. And I think they're pretty vulnerable. Like you can get some really good shots in those clear cuts. Um, I have friends that are really actually successful calling them in and clear cuts. I, really? I haven't had as much success. Yeah. Um, I won't mention names, like, uh, but they could see you'd almost need a decoy or something. They don't. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys, there's guys that are really confident in calling them in and clear cuts that do it. I don't get it. It hasn't worked for me. Not advising it. But <laughs> what has worked for me is, is that that last half hour and that first half hour, those big bulls are vulnerable because they all of a sudden the sun comes up and they're like 400 yards out in a clear cut. Mm. And they're like, so like oh. what's your like hypothetical situation? You, okay. I don't know. Usually you locate a bull or whatever. Are you going to try to make a move at first light? So the same, maybe the night before you're like, it's evening, uh, bull comes out in a clear cut. You're like, oh man, he's there. Are you going to try to get between him and the clear or the clear get between him and the timber at first light or like, what's, what's your tactic? I've tried to wait and see where he's at. I've tried every variation of this. <laughs> <laughs> obviously I don't have like the silver bullet, but I've had luck both ways. I've had luck just being like, why wait? We know where he is right now. Let's go. He's out. He's vulnerable. He's out in the open. We can move around. He's in an age of a clear cut that you can actually work him and get out there and maybe get a shot, especially with a compound. Like if I can get under 60 yards or under 50 yards, you're shooting at a thousand pound animal. Like, yeah. Now with that said, I missed that three thirty bullet 60 yards four years ago. <laughs> so, uh, but I, and I've also been like, Hey, he's talking. Let's just let him go where they go. We know where they're going. They're going in the, like the one of the three timber patches that are right here yeah. and let's let him settle in and let's go attack in middle of the day. Now that is, in one regard, something that I have changed about my tactics in the last five years. I don't worry as much anymore about daylight and dark as I used to. Um, That's something that I learned from Corey Jacobson and Larry D. Jones. Larry D. Jones has killed more bulls in the middle of the day than he has any other time. And the reason for that is, is when these Roosevelt's get in their place, their bedding ground, their home, they're much more territorial than when they're in a clear cut or even in that transition. When they're in a clear cut or they're in a transition, they're moving. They have something on the, They're just trying to keep their cows together, keep the satellites away, and they're trying to get to that safe, to safety, right? But once they're in safety, they're more comfortable leaving those cows because they know those cows are in their bedding ground, right? So Corey and Larry have proven the point, I think. And even guys like uh, the angry spike guys, you'll see a lot of their call-ins are in the middle of the day. Um, it's a much more vulnerable time maybe than I had thought. So I actually, it's actually kind of nice to be honest with you, Cody. I look at daylight and dark as more, 
the time since I'm hunting a lot of clear cuts that I can get high and find where the elk are. So I know where they are. And then I just hit the brakes and relax and let them go where they're going and hit them like at noon or mm -hmm. one. I will say that it doesn't work as much as you'd like it to work, but when it, <laughs> but when it does work, works well. it works really well. They get really pissed off. But, um, when it doesn't work, you're like, well, shit, I just let that son of a bitch. He was right out in the open and now yeah. I can't find him. Yeah. You and know, and that, then that, last year we had it happen where I couldn't find, we, we had one bull like that. We're like, oh, we'll just let him, I know right where he's going. We'll go get him at noon. Well, we tried that and then we never saw him again for the rest of the season. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I go back and forth on this because I do know, um, you know, uh, Shannon and those guys, uh, angry spike, they do really well, you know, middle of the day, they like to the point where they like sleep in and then yeah. the middle of the day. And I think it's like, if you were going to bugle, if there's a certain tactic you have, it works. And I think it works well then because you're not necessarily trying to like, uh, find that bull in the morning or whatever. Like you're trying to find him where he is and you're trying to find the one that talks where he is, which is a key indicator. So like a lot of times, like say, say you go high, here's, here's the problem with the whole scenario It's like, say you go high and you're like, you're going to glass these three to five units, uh, clear cuts and like, okay, there's, there's some elk using this cut and they move in that timber. You don't know if that elk is a talking elk or if he's like a dead silent, if he's a dead silent elk, he may go in there and then not say a peep and good luck trying to find him in the, you know, in the find a needle in a haystack, uh, which, which kind of makes it difficult. But then it's like, and if you go in there, you might bump, bump him and then he's not going to do the same routine. Right. And so it's like, it's super tough because you're, you're risking on one hand messing up his pattern when you already had it. So it's like, mm -hmm. uh, I tend to like, if I was going to do it, I think I'd probably just like, I like, I like glassing the cuts, um, and trying to do that whole, like, yeah, I could find elk that way, uh, for a couple of reasons. But I think I would like maybe try to intercept, but I wouldn't say a word like this mm -hmm. happens with, and I've learned this from open country or prairie hunting, right? It's like, you don't want to, you don't want to take a risk so big that you mess up the situation. And this is mm -hmm. true for like very big bulls. It's like, I'm going to slip in and if it works out, it works out. But if it doesn't, he'll have no idea I was ever there. Yes. And so like, you're trying to like, that's kind of how I would look at it. It's like, okay, let's try to get, let's try to make it happen. But if it doesn't happen, then we always have the midday call. Right. And then you know, maybe we just get above him and we also play it safe there and say like, this is where a hunting partner for Roosevelt's is so key. Cause if you and I were hunting, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to get way over here and I'm just going to keep bugling keep bugling keep bugling. And hopefully he'll at least talk enough that you can hear him. And then you can slip in there and like try to get him in his bed. And if he gets super active, like, and you start taking over bugling, great. Like go for it. I see what you're doing. But if he's going to keep talking and you can just slip in, then perfect as well. Right. And so it's like having, like you said, multiple arrows in your quiver, so to speak of like multiple tools in the toolbox to having like, okay, we can try this. We can try this. But the, the thing you'll learn is that, you know, Roosevelt's are your opportunities are few and far between. So you don't really want to mess them up. And this is very true, even with like, uh, you know, big bulls in, say up in the breaks or whatever, where it's like, you don't get a lot of opportunities. So you need to like capitalize or not screw it up. Whereas say Idaho, when now was hunting there and it was just like, I just screwed up and then on to the next one, screwed up and on to the next one. Yeah. You get to <laughs> learn a lot, but like, there's always another herd of elk to go chase. I mean, Roosevelt's and even like big bulls in open country, like the opportunities are pretty limited. So it's like take risks, but never like risk bumping them. So to speak. I, that phrase you said, slip in, 
I was reflecting on what you were saying, and that is how me and my hunting partners have got the shots at the biggest Roosevelt's period. End of story is finding those days when they're vulnerable and using how much noise they're making to their disadvantage and, and getting in there. Um, and it's, it sometimes involves you calling, but even on Rocky mountain, if they're talking, somebody told me this one time, I won't mention his name cause I'm not a huge fan of him, but he told me when he, he has killed a lot of big elk. Um, he said something to me one time that, that I totally agree with. He goes, why would I tell them where I am if they're telling me where they are? And I'm like, yeah, good point. If you got a bull that's just ah, screaming his head off and there's chaos and there, especially in this country, when you can really get close, put the tube away. Like some guys will get 200 yards from him and be like, meow, meow. And he's going to be like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Just walk over there and shoot the damn thing. Walk, go. You can slip in on Roosevelt herds. That's one of the things I love about Roosevelt herds. So sorry to keep banging the same drum, but that bull, that once in a lifetime bull that I got a shot at four years ago, that's exactly what happened. They stayed out in a clear cut, an older clear cut too late. It was like 10 in the morning. They were still out on the edge in the corner of a clear cut. And there was this cat road that went right to them. And I knew right where it was. And I'm like, I was with my brother and my dad. I'm like, we're going to go down. We're going to that cat road. And we're just, we're not going to make a peep. We're, he is, he's confused. He's got cows spread from one end of the clear cut to the other. Like there's, this is the most perfect scenario ever. And we got down there and my brother and my dad stayed back. And I literally just creeped for like a half hour. And I got in the middle of all those elk. I had cows a hundred yards from me, 30 yards from me, whatever. They're everywhere. And he was just pacing. And I'm like, I'm just going to stand here with an arrow on my string until he walks by me. He had no idea I was there. And actually it was really interesting. The wind, I was very worried about this. I had cows that were downwind of me but they weren't spooking because sometimes in this logging country, the elk are around people quite a bit. I'm not saying you can get away with it, but sometimes you do get away with some stuff because there there's people logging up there all the time. They're around dump trucks and log trucks and, and, uh, and they smell human. And I think this day I got away with some stuff I would never get away with. And I just stood there until that bull <laughs> made a mistake. It wasn't a fatal mistake because the archer, shot under him, but he ended up walking by me, had no idea I was there. Um, and that actually with that same bull happened two or three times. Unfortunately, um, I didn't get another shot, but I was so close a few times in the brush. I just mingled into his herd, just mingled, just kind of hung out. And all of a sudden I have elk spread out all around me and you're just, you just wait for the big bull to make a mistake. And some days he does and some days he doesn't. Yeah. Um, that happened to me one time, same situation. I had slipped in on, didn't say a word. I actually seen these elk, um, leave a cut and they were just kind of in a super open reprod. So I'm slipping through the reprod. I get to like, I don't know, in range, like 30 yards of some cows. And I'm just like, oh, the bull's got a show, right? He's running around. I can hear him glunking and running around, but I just hadn't seen him yet. And sure enough, a calf picks me up at like 12 yards, just uh. boom, like on me. I'm like, you know, like just mentally like, <laughs> it's okay. and, uh, <laughs> and sure enough, she kind of bolts and I like wait to see, and like, maybe they won't trust, you know, maybe they don't trust the calf. And sure enough, like a cow picks her head up and like starts to trot. And I was like, 
Hail Mary. And I just scream as loud as I can. I started like breaking trees and like doing everything. So it was like, I wasn't going to call, but like that, that last Hail Mary was like, this was all this, the, it was going to hell in a handbasket real quick and actually ended up getting a shot on the ball. He like, he came running around the corner and I would have never seen him before because he was kind of like over a rise. And so like in that Hail Mary scenario, now, granted, like that's, you're, you're putting a lot of uh, risk in it. Cause like they could just mm-hmm. bolt, but I, and I've had it work and I've had it not work, but I will throw the Hail Mary, like scream and moving trees. And the one key, I said it's worked twice for me on, on Roosevelt's. Um, but the key to it is like scream, but I'll just like make a fir tree, like a reprod tree, just, just shake it for all it's worth. So then that movement's right there, you know, and like, they may not be able to see the elk, but they can see the movement of a tree. Then like, that's something they're used to. So it's like, you're trying to rub the tree and that just flagging that reprod tree, like I'm rubbing it and then chuckling and stuff that has worked for me a couple of times. I think, uh, I was just thinking back to your original question about calling. I think what I would say, and I'm going to generalize, I would say calling works a lot better when there's more cover because they get more territorial. It irritates them more because they can't see. Right. If you're hunting a bunch of units, um, that's more open. I haven't had as much luck calling elk or getting them to answer in those clear cuts or in the reprod as I have on those vast national forest timber scapes where they're, they, I think they're just, they're kind of more irritated because they can't see and they don't know. But in that open, more open country, they kind of, I mean, they're spending their whole night there. They can hear every elk in that clear cut, like they know what's there. And then all of a sudden you pop up at a landing at daylight and yeah. And they're like, yeah, let's all go inside. Right. (laughs) Um, so I think, you know, to sum it all up, if you're hunting in an area where there's a lot of clear cuts and stuff, calling definitely is important, but think of it more as not your primary strategy as more of just part of the toolbox. If you have an elk standing in a spot that you can easily sneak up within 50 yards on a cat road. Why the hell would you call him? <laughs> just sneak right. up there. And my dad always says this, why don't you just sneak up there and shoot him? Don't overthink <laughs> this. Just the, the winds in your face, walk down there and shoot him. Um, <laughs> here's another thing that I had work a couple years ago that I don't know why it works still to this day, but it did is sometimes these elk like late morning, or even late afternoon, they'll come, they, they will start filtering out into the clear cut early, especially the cows because they're hungry and they'll kind of hang out on that edge, like within the first hundred yards or something. And you'll see them at, at like three in the afternoon. You're like, Oh, they're already coming out. Well, they kind of are. And then they'll kind of go back in and then they'll come out. The bull sometimes won't show himself till later. Sometimes he will. But we, it was like late morning and there was this herd and they were like 150 yards out in the cut. And, um, I knew just by, because I knew the country that there was an old fire road on the edge of the timber that I could get on and then just put myself, this is the only timber that they could go in. So I, and I had the wind in my favor. So I just took a bet that they were going to come back. Um, so I, I went and got on the, just inside the edge of that timber and I could shoot all the way to 60. I mean, I had all kinds of lanes. It was awesome. And I could see them, which is fun because you can actually see what they're doing. Dude, those elk literally all of a sudden they just turn around, start filing towards me. And I'm like, Oh <laughs> my God. And next thing I know, I have a cow walk by me at 10 yards and then one walk by me at 10, 20 yards and 30 yards. Unfortunately, the bull, like they sometimes do passed out of range for some freaking odd reason. 
but he did. And I didn't kill that bull, but the strategy worked, which was, <laughs> Hey, I know they're kind of, this is, they're not going to, the sun's hitting the clear cut. They're not going to stay out there all day. This is the only timber patch within 400 yards. The wind's good. I'm going to go sit there and I'm not going to make a peep and just see what happens. And sometimes weird strategies like that work. Yeah, no, I think that's really good. It's like not assuming that they're out for the whole day. It's like, okay, what are they going to do? Um, and just even getting in proximity, like being in proximity when you have that many hours, this, this happened to us, um, in Montana last year, you know, found just happened to my buddy happened to watch this elk go in this timber patch and bed down, you know, midday they like get up and start feeding around. And we were like, oh man, they're like going to start moving soon. And it was like, no, like there was a couple of cows that got up and moved for a long time. But you know, the core of the, the elk were like stayed right back in the timber. And so those cows went out and then they came back in, they came out and they came back in, you know, just because a couple of cows are coming up, don't get too ambitious. <laughs> yeah. But that's another thing that I've noticed these guys that consistently kill big bulls that they do is they put themselves on the fringe enough times to where that bull makes a mistake. Yeah. They don't necessarily invade his space a ton. They're not overcalling him. They they have enough days, say they have 10 days or 15 days. They find the bull they want to kill and they get right on the edge of his herd every day. And one guy told me, if you have a talkative bull, I don't care if it's a Roosevelt or a Rocky and he's bugling consistently, you should be uh, within striking distance of his bubble in the dark every morning in the dark, not too close. Cause you don't want to bump them, but just close enough to where you don't have to burn a bunch of daylight breaking that distance. Roosevelt's are a little different. They don't actually, I haven't found them to talk much at night. It's weird. They talk mostly once it gets daylight. I don't know what it is. I mean, sometimes they do, but the cows do, but the bulls, I just haven't heard a lot of it. Um, so I've sat on a lot of landings at night and it's like, there's, I mean, I hear a stick pop, but it's not like a bugle fest like you'd expect. But Um, I I used to do this all the time in Idaho. I would be within striking distance when I got daylight, because the problem was, is like, even if you, you know, find elk and they're bugling all night and you're like, you wait till daylight, by the time you get to them, they're moving. But there was always like a good solid 20, 30 minutes with that. They were still milling around right after daylight. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. many people get this wrong, you know, like they find them. And then about the time those elkers start moving, you know, they start going after them, you know, a half hour after daylight. And it's like, they think, Oh, they already took off when I bugle. It's like, no, they were probably just leaving to go bed anyway. Uh, So you need to be within striking distance to figure out kind of which direction they're going and whatnot. Um, That was, yeah, that's, that's really good tip. I haven't had a lot of, I haven't had a lot of luck getting there too early in Roosevelt country, to be honest with you. I've actually spooked, I've actually spooked more elk doing that than, than anything. But if you're hunting Rocky mountain elk, I'm a right. huge fan of moving in the dark. I love it. I dude, I, I I've never understood these people that pull up to the trailhead at sunrise. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I'm two hours ahead of them. <laughs> um, but with Roosevelt's, ah, I don't know, man, I haven't had, I mean, yeah, obviously get to your spot, but I don't even get out of my truck until I can shoot because these things, you just never know when they're, where they're going to be. It's brushy and you bump them and you're usually not hunting very big areas. You know that. I mean, most of your areas, Cody, weren't they like my areas? Like if I choose an area to go to in Montana, it's like miles. If I choose an area to go to Roosevelt hunting, it's like a square mile. Yeah. It's like a pocket. Yeah. 
And so like, if I just go burn through there in the dark, that doesn't do me a lot of good. <laughs> no, hundred percent. I mean, I've spent a lot of time bugling at night and like covering ground on my bike and stuff. Um, but most of the time, have you like, had much luck with that? I've, I haven't spent much time doing that for Roosevelt's I've done it for Rockies. Have you had much luck? When I left six years ago, it worked. I mean, it was on the friends. Like it was like, you'd had to cover a lot of miles to find a bull bugle in a night, mm -hmm. but I found, yeah, I found a, I would say a majority of my elk at night. At least I knew where they were. Right. Yeah. Um, and then like, I don't know, thinking back to one of the big bulls, there was one night I biked all night. Um, and I got back to the truck and I was like, I'm going until I find out because I had no elk to hunt in the morning. So I might as well just go all night. Um, almost got attacked by a cougar that night. And then I got back to the truck at like 3 AM and I was like, so tired. Um, I don't know, probably biked 15, 20 miles and fell asleep. I went to sleep. was going to wake up early and go check a different spot, slept in. So I get up at like seven 30, you know, like, oh man, I was too late. Ended up killing a bull at like nine 30 that morning. Um, and it was, I didn't even wake up until seven 30 or so. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's. I think that's a great strategy. Um, I'm actually going to try that this year. Um, I just haven't, I've done it in Idaho and Montana and stuff like that, but I've just, I've never really, I, here's the deal with Roosevelt. If you hunt here enough, you, I know, and I can't say the same in Montana because they move around so much, but I can pretty much promise you every day that I go out here, I'm hunting a basin with elk in it. Like there's elk there, right. whether I will see them or get an opportunity at them. That's always up in the air, but these elk just don't move much. So I don't need to burn a bunch of fuel right. tr trying to find them. It's more just, are they going to cooperate with me and be in a spot <laughs> where I can get them now right. this year I'm hunting a lot of new country. So that's changing. Um, so I'm probably going to be doing a bunch of night scouting. Yeah. It's a good strategy. I mean, I feel like, I don't know. I, I know I've had buddies that live there and they're like, yeah, you know, nothing's not like it used to be. I mean, mm. I would say like, 2010, 11, 12, like nobody was out bugling all night. I've, I'm assuming there's a bunch of people now. Cause like the elk are just a lot quieter than they used to be. Yeah. They're so quiet. God, last year, I think I already told you this Cody, but last year, I think on the coast, I hunted the entire season and I think I heard less than 10 bugles. That's crazy. Yeah. It was depressing to be honest with you. I didn't enjoy <laughs> I. I, I, I don't enjoy that. I mean, I, I enjoy my time in the field and all those things, but I got to hear bugles. Like yeah. that's part of the fun of all this. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. That's tough, man. All righty. Um, well, everybody go check out uh, Brinker's new podcast, the altitude show. Um, thanks for jumping on for talking out. Good luck this year. Um, Thank you, man. I hope uh, one of these years come back. What's that? Yeah. I, well, yeah, I'd love that. But three thirty is, is it three thirty or bus or 300 bus? Our, our numbers have bus. gone up, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, three thirty or bus. That would be ambitious. That would be an ambitious Roosevelt goal. You may go, you might have some seasons with a tag. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you. I appreciate it, Cody. I, I really enjoy, um, everything that you do. And, uh, hopefully one of these years you'll come back out and we can team up Dude, and, uh, that might be in the books. Yeah, do it, dude. I would, I would really enjoy that. That'd be fun. I, I'm just out here, you know, beating the brush, getting stung by bees and <laughs> looking for that, looking for another 335. Uh, yeah. Chasing that dream. <laughs> I'll send you the video of that bowl. So you can, you can, I have good video of that bowl. You can post during these clips and stuff so people can uh, see cool. and my, yeah. my, my, my heartbreak. Uh, brutal. 
All right, buddy. Well, good luck this year. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Elk Hunt Podcast. If you love elk hunting content, tips and tactics, all that jazz, then go leave this podcast a review wherever you listen to podcasts at. Much appreciated. And if you're interested, go check out our Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for doubling your success. It's a great resource, and it's going to make you a better hunter. I guarantee that, or we'll refund your money. So go check it out. Link in the show notes.